Okay, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. And uh, read through till we stop. All right, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women. That's kind of an understatement in this passage. Many strange women, together with daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. I'm going to just stop right here for a minute. Not, not to be funny, but think about this for just a moment. Um, if, for instance, you went to your wife, men, and you said, you know, I really do love you. I love you so much. But I also love so-and-so. So I'm going to marry her, too. Do you, do you think that'd be all right? Now, maybe by number 500, it may not have bothered them anymore. <laughs> but would you, would you be convinced that he really loved you? And yet, God's commentary in this, this is, this is really strange. I mean, it's true. There's no doubt. We believe the book. We believe the whole thing. But it says, <laughs> Solomon Clave under these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and that'd make it even worse. Being married to a bunch of princesses. I mean, really. Three, 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. That's exactly what God said would happen. That is exactly what God said will happen. The next time you think about doing your thing, even though you know the word of God speaks against it, and you're thinking to yourself, it won't hurt me. You're just lying to yourself. It will hurt you to disobey God. It will have an impact on you, and it will have an impact on others. Here's Solomon, who had a love for the Lord in the beginning of his kingship. There's no doubt that it was a true love for the Lord, and God, the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not in this matter. Here he's directly disobeying God. He says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Underline that. Later, when the nation is divided into two nations, the northern kingdom and Judah, all 19 kings of the northern kingdom, it is said of them that they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Ten of the 19 kings of the southern kingdom 
It says of them, they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. You would not have thought that someone so close to David, the very next king, it, that it ever would be said of him, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but he is. So Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build an high place in Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord, underline this first part, the Lord was angry with Solomon. Do you get that? But I thought God didn't get angry with his people. Yes, he does. And he gets angry with his people in a number of places in the Old Testament, but also in the New. We see how he responds. So the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore, the Lord said unto Solomon, for as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. However, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son, underline this, for David's, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I pray the Spirit of God would teach us some truths that we need to get. You said all these things in the Old Testament have been set down for our admonition in this time. As a matter of fact, you tell us that twice, Lord, in First Chronicles chapter 12 or chapter 10. So, Lord, may we learn it that we not sin like they did, like Solomon did. Heavenly Father, please give us lessons tonight that will help us in our walk and perhaps save a, a whole lot of people an awful lot of trial and trouble. And, Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And tonight I'm starting a new series for the next few weeks, probably six weeks, maybe seven weeks. We'll see what comes of it. And this was born out of something I've been meditating on for the last several weeks. The story of the man of God in 1 Kings chapter 13. In 1 Kings chapter 13, you're familiar with the story of what takes place. Uh, you have, you have a man of God that is called by God to go up to the northern kingdom of Israel. Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom, had made an altar unto Jehovah God. You say, that sounds spiritual. That wasn't God's altar. The man of God was to go up there and to proclaim a judgment against this false altar. Not only had, and by the way, the reason Jeroboam did that, once the kingdom split, understand that the, the temple now down in Jerusalem that Solomon had built, 
All of Israel was supposed to come to it for their sacrifices. And Jeroboam gets to reasoning with himself that if my people keep going down there for the first, I'm sorry, the feast days and for sacrifices, it won't be long. They'll want to join up together again. And I can't have that and keep my kingdom. Bible also tells us that Jeroboam made the least of the people the priest. And we know that the priests were only to be the, uh, the Levites. That was it. So he, he perverted a worship of God, which is he may have used God's name, but it was totally wrong and not acceptable to God. So God sends a man of God in 1 first, first Kings chapter 13, sends a man of God up there to preach judgment against the altar and those that used it. He gets up there. He does his job. By the way, God told the man of God that he is not to wait around. After he preaches judgment against the altar, he was to turn around and go back home down to Judah. So he gets up and preaches. The king threatens him, points his finger at him. He's going to arrest him. He's probably going to have him killed. That was his desire. But God shriveled up the king's arm. And so he cried out to the man of God for mercy, and he prayed for the the king, and the arm was restored. Well, then the king said to the man of God, "Uh, come on to my place, and uh, let me feed you. And he said, I can't. God has told me to come. Now, this is where we know that the man of God knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He was to return back. God had told him to return back. Now, that day, in the crowd were two sons of an old prophet. They ran home, they got with their father, and they told the prophet about the man of God, what he had done, what happened at the altar, what happened to the king's arm, told them all that. And he told his sons, go back and tell that prophet that he's to come home with you and that God has told me that he is to come to our house. They go back, they invite the man of God to the house, And he gave the right excuse. He said, I can't. God's told me to return. I'm not to tarry. I'm not to eat anything. I'm to return back to Judah. But the old prophet said, no, God has told me. Now, basically, here's what it comes down to. He says, God's told me he's changed his mind. I want you to get this. God hasn't changed his mind about anything. Do you understand what was wrong to God a hundred years ago is still wrong to God today? Be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Uh, don't play games with God because he's not playing. He means exactly what he says. Well, anyway, he ends up going to the old prophet's house. And there's an interesting phrase in 1 Kings chapter 13 that says, but the prophet lied. Now, that tells me that sometimes old preachers lie. You know, you have to check with what you know the Word of God says to see if an old preacher is telling the truth or not. I tell people, I want you to bring your Bibles. You need to follow along in the Bible, make sure I'm preaching it true. Make sure, make sure I'm sticking with the stuff always. So anyway, he goes home and eats. And now God gives the old prophet a message. Because you disobeyed God, you're not making it home. A lion's going to kill you in the way. Sure enough, lion showed up, killed the prophet, didn't eat him. 
And when people would walk by, they would see the dead man of God, they would see his donkey, and they would see the lion sitting there beside him. And people would look and say, there's the man of God that didn't obey God. Now, I've been mulling that over for several weeks. I came up with an outline. See if you like this. It's kind of a, it, it's kind of a, re, a re, reversed alliteration. It doesn't start out with alliteration. It was a man who prophesied, a king who cried, the prophet who lied, and a man of God that died. You're not impressed? I'm disappointed. (laughs) But the reality in this story is it goes back, the seeds of this story goes back farther than 1 Kings chapter 13. It goes back to Solomon and wisdom denied. I mean, the word of God is God's wisdom to us. And he denied the truth of God that he should have known. And then a second point, a king's pride. That's Rehoboam, his son. And that's where it all begins. The seeds of the whole story begins in 1 Kings chapter 11. And so I looked at that, a wisdom denied, a king's pride, a man who prophesied, a king who cried, a prophet who lied, and a man of God who died. Well, that's six. Well, that's too long. That's too long for one message. So I decided I'll preach at least six messages. And if I can get a couple of other words to fit in there, I may have a couple more messages to go along with it. All right. But what we're doing tonight is that we are laying the groundwork for what is going to be taking place later on. Uh, Why start with Solomon? Because he was the reason that the situation ever came about. It is because of Solomon that Jeroboam ever became king of the northern kingdom. It is because of Solomon that the country would be divided. And it had a terrible impact on literally hundreds of thousands of people. So tonight, I'm basically preaching on a wisdom denied. And of course, we're dealing with Solomon in this. The first point, I'm not doing all those cute things with the points of the message. Number one, when wisdom is folly. Had God spoken about this? I mean, after all, you just read it there and you think, even if we didn't have a Bible verse dealing with this, there is something wrong here. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. We already know this can't be good. Even if you haven't read the passage in Deuteronomy. But let's go ahead and turn over to Deuteronomy. Uh, This, because the kings were to read the word of God. This is something that Solomon would have not only read, but had read to him already. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, I want you to notice beginning in verse 14. Now, understand, Deuteronomy is written before they ever got into the land. And this is instruction for the kingdom, and the passage we're going to read is instruction for Israel's kings when they got into the land. Now, they only had three kings here. They had Saul, they had David, and they had Solomon. He's only their third king. The first king ruled 40 years. David ruled 40 years. Solomon ruled 40 years. And as I said, the kings were to have the word of God, the book of Deuteronomy, read to them over and over again. Notice verse 14. 
When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses, for as much as the Lord has said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. First prohibition of the king, he was not to multiply horses. He didn't want to make it easy. God didn't want it to be easy for the people of Israel when the times got tough to return back to Egypt. Then he says in verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. And here's the reason, that his heart uh, turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of the kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest and the Levites. And it says, and it shall be with him and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. So he's got three things he's not to do. He's not to multiply horses, whoever the king is. <coughs> he's not to multiply wives. And he's not to multiply gold and silver, lest he get proud and think there's something special about him. The king also had to write his own copy. He had to sit down and write it of the word of God that he had, the book of Deuteronomy. And he was to read it continuously so that he would learn to fear the Lord. Now, you remember Solomon got off to a great start. Uh, he got off to a great start in his early years. The Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And uh, you remember when God asked him if he wanted anything, he said, yes, I want wisdom in order to lead this people. And you remember when the Queen of Sheba came, she said, my, your servants must be happy. Your people must be happy that they have got such a wise king. Well, that wise king turned into an idiot. Because what he does in 1 Kings chapter 11 is not wise. He openly disobeys God. What a shame. So we go then back to 1 Kings chapter 11. And notice again, verse 3, had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Isn't that what God said would happen? Didn't God declare that? That was the reason. Now he said, well, what about David? David had more than one wife. He didn't have 700. David did not multiply wives to himself. He added them. He only had a few. But we got Solomon doing multiplication. He must have been sending some people out into some of these uh, countries that were around there to find women that, Solomon would probably like to marry 700 wives. So everything happened exactly like God said would happen. Now, you remember that the author of the book of most of the chapters in Proverbs was who? It was Solomon. He writes a book of wisdom. So let's go over to the book of Proverbs a minute. 
And let's notice first in chapter 1. These are going to be words written by Solomon. Words of wisdom. Something to help practically, uh, in a very practical way, everybody who reads him. He says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, that's the introduction to the book. Notice the next two words, my son. My son. You go down to verse 15, my son. It is interesting to me, he doesn't say my sons. He says my son. You say, why is that interesting? Because as far as we know, there is mention in Scripture of Solomon, one son. With 700 wives and 300 concubines, I don't know if he just had one son or if he had a bunch of sons, but God only mentions the one son that became king. We do know there are a bunch of other kings that had sons and daughters. You remember Jehoshaphat, he had a son that he took with him up to Israel. We made an alliance with Ahab. And that son ended up marrying the daughter of Jezebel. And then when Jehoshaphat dies, he kills all of his brethren. We know David had a bunch of sons. But there's only one son that is actually mentioned to be Solomon's son. So he says in the first nine chapters of the book... He says, my son, my son, my son, my son. He's giving instruction to his son. Now, we know this is God's book, and this is, this is all right. The instruction he gave was true and right to his son. But you want to lay the groundwork for your son not listening to you. Don't live what you tell them to live. You understand me? Don't, don't be one of those hypocritical fathers that says, son, don't do as I do. Do as I say. That screams hypocrite. They end up with no respect. Solomon starts out right, ends up wrong. Rehoboam is never right. Matter of fact, when Rehoboam takes over the kingdom, the Bible says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord... And Israel followed him. They followed along with what Rehoboam was. You have an influence on other people. Now, in Proverbs chapter 8, God used some, and I hope I'm using the right word, anthropomorphisms to, to give human qualities to wisdom. As a matter of fact, he starts out the book in verse 8. Our verse 1 of chapter 8, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? As she standeth in the top of high places, by the way, the places of the path. She crieth at the gates at the entry of the city. Uh, so we have some human features being seen in wisdom. You get to verse 13. Well, notice verse 12. 
I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way in the forward mouth. Do I, wisdom, hate? I, the I here is referring to wisdom and specifically the wisdom of God. Counsel is mine, sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. We'll go down to the last verse in this chapter. Here's wisdom speaking. And wisdom says in verse 36, But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Wisdom, God's wisdom is something to be listened to. He even warns us in the book of Proverbs twice. He says, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 and 16 and verse 25, says exactly the same thing. And here wisdom is crying out, he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. Get it. Now Rehoboam gets this from his father. He is all set up that when he becomes king to be a good one. And yet we find early on in his life as king over Israel, early on he follows the wisdom of the guys that are his age and not the older counselors who knew something. He wasn't going to get anything good from them, and he didn't. What he told the, uh, all of Israel that he was going to work them even harder than Solomon did. He is going to be a tough leader, and he wanted to make sure that they knew it. Solomon wrote it and to his son, Rehoboam. But it doesn't seem to have any effect on Rehoboam, and I believe it has to do with Solomon's testimony of disobedience to the Word of God. You can lift up the Bible all you want, but if you're not going to live it in front of your family, you're destroying your family. I mean, let's face it, our kids see what we really are at home. And and sometimes we end up shocked when we see some family go astray, when the reality is that's what the kids have seen all along. They just had on their best face when they came to church. And don't misunderstand, I do want you to have your best face on at church. I don't really care to see you, you know, come in like you wake up in the morning and your hair's all messed up. But when wisdom is folly, when is wisdom folly? When wisdom is not followed. Solomon doesn't follow it. As a result, God says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Point two, his actions would lose the nation. In 1 Kings chapter 11, let's go back to it. Notice verses 34 through 36. 1 Kings chapter 11, 34 through 36. Now here, the Lord is speaking to Jeroboam. He's going to use Jeroboam to take the kingdom away from from Solomon, but it'll be during the time of his son. He says, Howbeit, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, that is, out of Rehoboam's hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David, my servant's sake, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it unto thee, even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe 
that David, my servant, may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. The land would be divided. Whose fault? Solomon's. Now, Rehoboam gets the blessing of keeping Judah because of David, not of Solomon. We don't find, Sol- we don't find Rehoboam getting any blessings because of his dad. And there's no doubt he must have some disdain for his dad and his dad's God because he saw the hypocrisy of his own father in this mess. You know, the people would be turned over from proper worship. The northern ten tribes are going to be worshiping falsely. And if you studied the scripture, you know God hates false worship. He hates the worship of false gods. People would fight and die. The northern kingdom many times would fight the southern kingdom, and a lot of people died. These were not Germans killing Jews. These were not, you know, some race, other race killing Jews. This was Jews killing Jews. And it goes back to Solomon. His impact because of the folly with how he treated real wisdom. His impact would mean the death of thousands upon thousands of Jews. What a shame. Families would be divided. The Bible tells us in Romans 14, 7, for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. Romans 14, 12, uh, for we must all appear, I'm sorry, uh, so that every man must give account of himself to God. Do you understand that what you do affects others? And to do wrong is to end up hurting people long after you're dead. The result of Solomon's sin didn't just hurt his boy, but all those people. Remember, he wanted wisdom to be able to rule his people rightly. God gave him all the wisdom that he needed, but when he forsook God's wisdom, God's word, he lost real wisdom, and he ended up hurting, even destroying the very people that at one time he had wanted to serve. Man, that's a wasted life. What a failure. What you do affect others and will hurt people you never will meet. Now, if Jesus comes back soon, thank God that will that will help stop some of the hurt that our actions will have caused. But let's say Jesus doesn't come back for 200 more years. What you do, how you respond to things in church, how you respond to people, how you respond to God's word in your dealing with people and with your family can end up hurting your great, great, great grandchildren down the line. And they may end up having to deal with things in their life that are horrible and miserable, all because you just wouldn't be consistent in keeping your testimony right. How sad. Many of you know the name Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, at one time, by the way, went to Yale University at the age of 13. He ended up being president of Princeton College. But he was a preacher, and he had a burden for revival. 
He was also the father-in-law of David Brainerd, who became a great missionary in his own right. Jonathan Edwards uh, wrote the biography of David Brainerd, his son-in-law. His wife's name was Sarah. They married in 1727. And God blessed them with 11 children. Every night when Mr. Edwards would come home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child. He was a very godly man. Jonathan and his wife Sarah passed on a great and godly legacy to their 11 children. An American educator by the name of A.E. Winship decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. And his findings truly were remarkable. Now, remember this about Jonathan Edwards. He is credited with the beginning of the Great Awakening in 1734 that really opened up America to the desire for liberty and freedom. In 1734, as a preacher, he prayed for three days and three nights, fasting from food and water both, crying out to God, God, give me New England. God, give me New England. God, give me New England. He prepared his message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. It was from a verse in the book of Deuteronomy, and their foot shall slide. When he got up to preach after three days and three nights of not sleeping and not eating, when he got up to preach, he had his notes before him in a dimly lit church, wooden church building, and he simply read them in a dull monotone. He wasn't like me. He didn't get up and yell and stomp and walk back and forth. He stood at the pulpit, dimly lit, read his message. As he was reading his message, people would grab a hold of the pillars in the middle of the auditorium and hold on screaming for God's mercy for fear that they would let go and they would drop straight into hell. People would get a hold of the pew in front of them and hold on crying out for God's mercy lest their foot should slide and they would go straight to hell. You read the message. It really is a powerful message. But you'd think of a preacher, somebody today, wanting to uh, copy that. What they would think of is, well, I'll read the same words, but I'm going to dress it up a little bit to give it some power. Well, you can't dress it up to give it power because it wasn't Jonathan Edwards' power. It was God's power that did it. So here's a very godly man, a very godly preacher, a well-educated man. Well, what about 150 years later? Jonathan Edwards' legacy includes this in his line of descendants. One U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public, hold, uh, public office holders, 100 lawyers. Well, that's the bad part of this, the whole thing. 100 clergymen and 285 college graduates. Now, how can that be explained? Well, he was a godly man, but he was also a hardworking man. He was an intelligent man. He was a moral man. Furthermore, the guy that did the study said much of the capacity and talent 
and intensity and character of the more than 1,400 of Edwards' family is due to Mrs. Edwards because they were a lot alike in this. They were consistent in their walk, consistent in their love for God. Meanwhile, someone else decided to compare him with uh, the descendants of a man by the name of Jukes. Uh, This man, Max Jukes' legacy, came to the people's attention when some research was done on family trees of 42 different men in the New York prison system were traced back to Max Jukes. He lived in New York at about the same time as Edwards. The Jukes family was studied by a a sociologist by the name of Dugdale in 1877. Jukes' descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, and 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. The Edwards family, the Jukes family. What a difference between those two. And you can go right back to those that, that, that mom and dad, starting with their own children and then the descendants that came out of that. Your choices do impact many that you will never meet. Now understand that. This, this is serious stuff. We think this, well, it's my life. I can do with it what I want. First of all, that's a lie if you're saved. For the Bible says you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. But the truth is, what you do doesn't just hurt you. What you do is going to hurt a lot of people that you will never meet. And you are the one responsible for the hurt. If your life is not what it should be. And then there's the hypocrisy hurt for his own son. In Proverbs chapter 1, God gives him a lot of instruction. Matter of fact, I want to turn back to the book of Proverbs a minute. Go to chapter 3. I love these verses, especially in chapter 3. I love it all, but in chapter 3, some of my favorite verses. You look at 5 and 6. He says, and notice how, notice how chapter 3 starts. It starts with what? My son. My son. What does he say in verses 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lay not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Well, Dad, is that what you're doing? I mean, really? My son, verse 1, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. You go down to verse 11. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. You go down to verse 21. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Had Solomon not disobeyed, there would have been no reason to lose the kingdom. There would have been no separate altar. No war between the north and the south. And I'm not talking about the American Civil War. Rehoboam had no excuse for doing what he did. I want you to get this. It's important every young person and young adult gets this. All right, he had a hypocrite for his dad. 
but he was still responsible for doing right himself. Isn't it amazing out there how many people blame their sorry parenting on their parents? Well, I'm a sorry parent because my mom and dad didn't raise me right. No, you're a sorry parent because you're sorry. You've chosen, you know the difference between sorry and good, and you've decided you're going to put the same thing on your kids that your sorry parents put on you. You're an idiot. I'm sorry, that excuse doesn't wash. I was brought up in a drunkard's home. Why on earth aren't I a drunkard? And by the way, they were faithful to it. They were faithful to the most. They didn't pretend to be Christians. I didn't see hypocrisy in them. They lived the way they were brought up. They didn't know any different. So why didn't I follow them? It wasn't because I saw hypocrisy in them and I wanted something different. Every person here, no matter what your home situation is, you are responsible for the decisions you make. You make the wrong choices. You hurt others. Nobody's fault but yours. But you don't understand the hard time I had in my life. Who doesn't? Who doesn't have a hard time in their life? You know, you see some of these stories. Of course, we're at the end of the football season. All these guys are heroes because they throw or can carry a football. That's nonsense. I mean, that is absolute nonsense. That doesn't make them heroes. Some of them are just the sorriest examples for any young person to follow that they can come up with. But you're responsible for the decisions you make. And any young person brought up here, I know from the time it began with Brother Stark as pastor, you've heard the truth. You should know the truth. Yeah, but I just don't see. Yeah, and Solomon didn't see what was wrong with it. He knew what was wrong with it before, but then he decided he was going to do his own thing. It won't hurt me. Rehoboam knew the difference, but he decided not to do right. That's on him. He ended up losing the kingdom. For doing evil in the sight of the Lord. The, Rehob- the Bible tells us of Rehoboam, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and all Israel with him. The truth is, David ended up being a bigger blessing to his grandson, Rehoboam, than what his dad had been, Solomon. Solomon caused Rehoboam to lose the kingdom. David... Because of his testimony, at least Rehoboam got to keep one tribe. You have an impact on your children. You'll have an impact on your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Long after you're dead and in the grave, they'll either be praising your name for the influence you've had for them for good in their life, or they'll be talking about what a sorry person you were and how you wasted your life doing your own thing. One or the other. It's where it's going to be. So what happened? Well, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. We need to learn that. Solomon, oh yeah, financially, God blessed him in a great way. Yeah, Solomon got praised for having a lot of wisdom. And boy, did he become a dumb man. He messed it all. A poet wrote a poem called only those who walk with God 
It goes like this. I've never seen a man so wise, so great and high and grand, so rich in houses, stocks and bonds, or rich in cash and land. But that he needed, needed God deep in his life and soul to lead and guide him on life's way to heaven's final goal. There is no human height to reach outside of God's good grace that gives assurance on who can win the laurels in the race. For high or low in human life, as we may think of man, it's only those who walk with God that measure in his plan. And that's true for us. What we read about today set things in motion for a man of God to have to travel up to a northern kingdom that should have just been part of all of Israel to a false altar. Solomon is the one who laid the foundation for all that wickedness. What are you going to do with your life? How are you going to affect others that you'll never even meet? We'll find out who really has a legacy when we stand before God. He won't pull any punches. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with our hearts tonight. Help us to understand the importance of our lives. Lord, I'm reminded of 42 children that when they saw the bald prophet coming down, they cried out, go, out, uh, go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head, and you held them all accountable for the wickedness they were doing, and you sent two she-bears and killed them all. We are responsible for the decisions we make, for the things that we do. We can't blame them on anybody else. Have your way in our lives tonight, I pray. God, may we show some real wisdom in our own life. For we ask it in Jesus' name.